This is the Roaring Elephant Podcast, and here I am with my ever-so-well-read co-host, Jon. Hello, Jon. <sighs> Hi, Dave. Well-read. Well, I did kill a tree recently. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Not personally, but I, I contributed to killing a tree because I... I bought a book, a paper book, and for people that have been following the podcast for a couple of weeks or months, it's been in the background there for a while now. <laughs> well, that's a really, for those of you not following on YouTube, you can see a really awkward sort of yawn trying to orient his finger with something in the background of the video. Video mirroring is hard. My brain's simple. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. And that means that we are joined by a special guest. We are joined by the author of said book, Open Source Projects Beyond Code, John Murtick. So without further ado, unless there's anything from you, Jan? Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, you recorded the interview already. We're just doing the intros now, but it's been a very, very long and interesting interview. So let's move into it immediately. Let's do it. Welcome, John Murtick, to the Roaring Elephant Podcast once more. I'm like a regular here. I, I, you know, I, I imagine there's like a coffee cup waiting for me somewhere with my name on it. There's probably like mail that's getting delivered to you guys for me. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. We've got one of those fold-up chairs with your name on the back. You know, all I don't these things. Have one. <laughs> a whole list of to-dos, like stuff that I've left there from before. You know. But... Yeah, but you and Dave, you kind of have as big lists of things you promised <laughs> to do, and <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Jon's really the only one that works hard here out of the three of us. That's, that's, that's definitely true. Thank you. As long as one of us does, that's all that really is. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly right. So for those that could be listening, and maybe this is maybe this is the first episode that they've joined, in which case, welcome and my condolences. <laughs> um, but uh, mainly due to you know you choosing to join and listen to the Roaring Elephant podcast, not because of the amazing guest that we are about to introduce you to, but John, please, uh, for those that might be new and may not have heard your dulcet tones before, let the audience know who you are and what you're about. Hi, my name is John, um, and I'm John Murtick here. I've uh, I've been around open source for pretty much all of my professional career. Uh, going on 20-some-odd years. And, you know, I've done a lot of different levels of stuff from, you know, being a, a developer and contributed to projects like PHP, um, being a community manager at Sugar CRM, uh, you know, serving in leadership roles with ODB2, Open Social, and, you know, over the last, uh, gosh, it's eight years now, it's getting to, I believe, yeah, eight years. Um, with here with the Linux Foundation, where I've really had the fortune of working with a lot of amazing technology communities. And, you know, through it all, uh, I, I never say that I've seen it all because every every couple, every so often I see something I've never seen before. And it's, it's always really interesting to me, but I've seen a lot. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a lot of my, it's a lot of my background there. I just, I just enjoy being around open source and I've had the fortune of doing it for my career, which is, which is amazing. Fantastic. Uh, so, you know, one of the reasons um, that we're here sort of chatting today is that uh, as well as being our sort of our regular annual guest um, that, uh, that joins us at the, at the end of the year, um, you've recently written a book. Um, what was the book? 
Tell us, tell us a little bit about. Oh, there it is. Yeah, place for everybody. Copy. John has his copy. Everyone <laughs> puts them up. Awesome. I could wave, awesome. I could wave a PDF, but <laughs> it's not quite the same. I know at least two of them exist, so that's good. Um, no, I, the, the title of the book, Open Source Projects Beyond Code, and you know the rationale behind a lot of this book is so much of open source we look at from the technical collaboration and just the output work. You know, the code being written and you know all of the great stuff that comes along with that um and and, and it powers all sorts of different parts of our society but for those of you who've been around open source for a while is as weird as this sounds writing the code is the easiest part and that's not in any sort of way of saying that the people that are building these technologies aren't you know aren't amazing individuals they very much are like and i've had the i've worked with you know, Academy Award winners, you know, uh, PhDs, uh, you know, people in all different levels of industry and expertise. But the real challenge is everything that goes around it. And, you know, when I've been dealing with this for numbers of years, I've been you know, dealing with this almost two decades or over two decades now. And I really wanted to kind of get to that point where I could just sort of write it all down, you know, because, you know, I'm getting old and I forget <laughs> stuff all the time. And if I if I don't write it down now, like we're all screwed. So um, and my kids remind me of this all the time. So <laughs> and my wife, which she should. Um, but that's kind of a little bit of the thing. It's like I, you know, just chronicling, just talking about a lot of these different things that are that are beyond code. And, and so I I didn't really write it as like a. I mean, you can read it, you know, start to finish, but it's really designed to be. You read it, but then there's going to be parts of it that are going to be pertinent to you at various different places in your open source project journey and. So it's one of those books that's designed to sort of sit on the bookshelf. And then when you sort of get into that area, you pop it out and, and you read it. And it's it's not going to tell you exactly what to do, but it's going to give you kind of a mindset of how you begin to think about this from, from different angles and understanding the considerations around it. Because open source isn't done any one way. And that's that's sort of the beauty of it. I mean, you know, there are like Apache models and Eclipse models and things like that that mm. are very tried and true in a lot of ways. but I think the reality is the vast majority of it is just done in, in a lot of different ways. And, and some of it is very conflicting to one another. And that's kind of part of the beauty of it. Um, you know, one of one of my working titles um, around this, uh, you know, was, was actually sort of focused on, you know, the art of open source. But I think once we really got into it, it was more of the aspect of everything beyond code and understanding that behind it. So... So that's that's kind of what the books, you know, it, it you know, nutshells about. And so that way, if you don't want to, you know, listen to the rest of this podcast, you can say, okay, great, I'll just go read the book, and that's fine too. Um, but but the rest of us, can, we can sit here and chat. But no, that's that's kind of the background of it. I don't believe. Nice. And usually, when we have John on, we talk about everything but the topic we agreed upon beforehand. So <laughs> I'm, I'm glad we got this out of the way now, so we can just rattle on. That's exactly exactly. So you mentioned that that you had sort of other title ideas. What were some of the others that uh, that didn't make the cut eventually? There was, I think, the one that was a big working title for a long time was the Art of Open Source. Yeah, and. Actually, it's kind of how we even pitched the book was around that as a concept. Um, but one of my uh, my technical reviewer, Guy Martin, um, who has been around the OSPO space for a number of years, he's part of the NVIDIA OSPO um, right now. And, you know, he kind of looked at it and, you know, said, you know, this really is, you know, calling it the art of open source sort of like makes it too ambiguous across all of the different aspects of it. 
and you're going to get someone who's who's you know looking at more from the technical aspect this gets into everything but the technical stuff intentionally mm -hmm. and so really calling that out in the title i think was a big part of it and, and even sort of the, the 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 byline of it of a blueprint around scalable and sustainable open source communities which i think there was some title ideas we had along that as well um but the i think I think the one thing that we really got to the end of it, it says, you know, it's it's everything beyond the code. Like that's mm. that's that's the that's the kind of the interesting. The code's really interesting, but that's kind of like where a lot of the arts and everything sort of comes together. Of how do you coalesce these communities together? How do you get people get along? How do you grow people from contributors to maintainers? You know, how do you you know market and not look like a shrill? Like you know, all of those sort of like key aspects like you know a, a cursory thing on on the licensing dynamics um mm. how do you shut down a project like all of all of these sort of aspects that again just sit all around it so and and again it's done with a mindset of scalable and sustainable you know because there's so many open source projects that are just started and it's a one-person show and they just run out of energy um and you know, I've, I've started open source projects like that. You can probably find literate all over the place if you look hard enough. Yeah. Um, but the ones, but but the ones that have staying power and the ones that really have a lot of importance and dependence, those are the ones that sort of need to be built in such a way that they can they can sustain for the long haul. Because um, there's there's so many technologies that are going to be useful for not just us but the generations to come after us. And setting up that right structure to carry that forward is is a critical part. So. Yeah. Nice. Nice. So you mentioned that, you know, different people might be at different stages and therefore, you know, might dip into different parts of this book depending on, you know, where they are with their their sort of open source project journey. Do you think there's an ideal time to start thinking about this? Like should people read this book first before they even start their first open source project to kind of make sure they're starting off in the right way or can someone kind of spin something up see if it's got any long-term appeal and then kind of dive into hey do i actually care about you know making this long-term sustainable and scalable or you know what's what's the sort of ideal timeline do you think for someone i mean you know just like they say with security that you know security is something you should be thinking about day one of, of any software project you build I, I would i would sort of make the argument that thinking about how your project is structured and knowing some of this like down the road things are good to be thinking about like when you're on the cusp of saying i want to get into open source um, and especially i think the first chapter that really you know does sort of a, a winding history of open source from from sort of the perspective of sort of the thematics and the major milestones along the way so you can sort of understand where a lot of the ethos and where a lot of the mindset and and the road sort of trudged before us have looked like it's extremely useful because it just it helps sort of get your mindset if you're thinking about starting a source project of like why you would even do it like mm -hmm. what 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 roles does it fill what can it do what what does it not do all of those things but it, it was again i wrote it with the idea in mind that even if people that have started a project or have been in the throes of running a project or mm -hmm have ran 30 projects and large scale ones, they could all sort of jump into here and, and find areas where they can connect and, and hopefully maybe learn something or, or just think about something different. So it's good for at any end of the life cycle. I mean, just like security, you should think about it very early on. So if you have the, 
if you have the twinkle in your eye of I want to start an open source project, um, you know, pick up the book, you know, start mm -hmm. reading just so you kind of sort of know what you're getting yourself into. But that doesn't preclude somebody who's already down the road. And in fact, I think if you're down the road, some of the topics will yeah. resonate better with you mm. because you'll be like, oh, yeah, I've seen that one before. Yeah, I've seen that or I'm feeling it right now even. Exactly, exactly. And so, and, and sometimes that's just validating to know like you're not alone. Like it's not mm. just a unique thing that I've ran into. No, no, we all do um, in, in all in different ways. So yeah, I think it hits you at different different aspects depending upon where you're at in that journey. Yeah, for, for me, when I read it, it really read from a practitioner, somebody who has been around this. So I would actually say I recommend this book to somebody who's doing open source and is in trouble and mm -hmm. doesn't find his way out. Just having somebody just lay it out. Well, these are the things you should think about and you can think, oh, I forgot that. I didn't do that. I skipped over that. I didn't think that was important. Just having those little handholds might even mm -hmm. save a project from going down the drains completely and, or having a community reassemble itself again through the, yeah, the we'll go into more depth later. But you, there's a lot of tips in the book on how to build a community, how to keep it together. So yeah, I would agree all at all stages. Yeah, no, and that's and that's and that's really kind of useful in the tips side of things. I think that was yeah, it's it's sort of it's not designed from like that canonical like full end and mm. novel aspect. It's mm. just like there's there's things that are just gonna hit you, and you're, you're exactly right, John. It's like where you're at. It also makes it readable. I mean, those canonical, as you say, that gets boring. You get halfway the first hundred pages, then it's more and more. Uh, uh, well, this kind of read like oh yeah, this can go wrong. <laughs> that can go wrong. <laughs> It's kind of a disaster. It goes all the time. You're not alone. Yeah. But the good yeah. way of talking about it, not the disaster itself. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, something you mentioned right towards the beginning is that um, the everyone thinks about open source projects as the code, and there's actually so much more to a project than just the code that that makes it up and the people that contribute the code. But I, th I still think that a lot of people really struggle to think about projects much beyond that. So how, apart from obviously all the millions of people listening to the Rory Elfman podcast and now going out and buying your book, um, yeah. how, you know, how do you reach uh, an audience that maybe doesn't know that this topic is, exists, even if they really would benefit, you know, massively from it? It's a great question. You know, um, on one, if you search Amazon, if you search open source on Amazon within the first couple of pages, you hit the book. So that's that's awful helpful. Um, yes. You know, I I think it's one of those things like I think us all during open source, we've all kind of got here in a weird way. Like <laughs> nobody, for yourself, nobody, come on. <laughs> okay. I mean, we need, I, I don't, I, I, I mean, at least here in the United States, like we used to, you know, you do sort of those like career assessments and everything. And I never know, and none of them end up being like open source person, right? It's like teacher, you know, lawyer, fireman, something like that. There's like no personality <laughs> traits here. There's no like career advice. There's no anything like that. You kind of like back yourself into this. And you know, with that, I find that so much of the knowledge becomes very tribal. And mm -hmm. when you have knowledge like that, you, you often just sort of like connect with people that are sort of in similar veins of things and are similar mm -hmm. throats of things. I mean, I remember when I was a community manager at Sugar CRM, that was one of the big things that really helped me in those early days 
was meeting other community managers, not even ones that are necessarily in the open source realm, but just in, in different aspects, you could sort of understand what a bit of the discipline was about. And, and that was a discipline that's got so much better over the years. I mean, John O'Bacon, I mean, we should we should we should all be thanking the crap out of that dude because I mean he's he literally he did write the book a couple times, but you know he really got a good sense of where that was going. I, I feel like with open source, when you're when you're brought into this position, your only really great background is you know having classical PMO experience um, and a PMP background, which I think a lot of that definitely really helps. It's when you start to, now we're kind of in like a narrower area, and when when I would think about how you would reach people in that area, it's by sort of that networking aspect of you're just meeting the peers and meeting the people around you that are are kind of growing through the same stuff. Or, you know, hopefully, you know, if 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 you Google like save me for my open source project, hopefully this book comes up. I, I probably should check on the keywords for that. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean, in all seriousness, I I, I think that's going to be where a lot of the reach is going to come through. And I, I tried to write it in a way that it should hopefully stand at least, you know, a couple of years before I have to do more work with this. Um, so there's just some the relatable bits to it. And um, it, it at least just helps your mindset. Like it gives you a way to think about it. Yeah, you think it's, the mindset is broader than just open source. I mean, even if you're not doing open source, a lot of stuff in the book just makes sense for any kind of semi-volunteer organizational kind of thing where you're kind of dependent on people's goodness of their hearts to add yeah. to something larger. So, yeah, I mean, when the question came up and you put in the notes, that was my thinking as well. There's a lot of benefit be gained from this book, but a lot of people already in open source think they already know all this. I mean, open source people are typically the very, the very opinionated, let's call it that, <laughs> strong personalities usually. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it would be sad. But again, if it uh, pops up very high in the Amazon list, that's always a good thing. <laughs> no, and, and I like and I like how you said, and, and it's interesting that you kind of talk walked away with there's so much benefits beyond open source of a lot of things. Like as I was writing the book, you know, and, and again, I think this is something when you're so deep in your own world that you have a little bit of conscious right. But I'm like writing some of these things, I'm like, isn't this shit obvious? Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and and then I had to kind of take a step back, and I'm like, well, like. Look at turn me back ten or fifteen years. Would I have found this obvious? No. And 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 I think I think that's a really interesting aspect. And and I'm glad you kind of pulled that out of there because so much of open source is you just have, like you said, a unique group, opinionated, um, often vocal, mm -hmm. sometimes non-vocal completely, yeah. of people and. Your your goal is to and, and volunteer, and your goal is to sort of nurture them, moving them together, where you have no benefit of like raises or promotions to get people through it. It's literally it's just people love what this is and it's important to them, and they are investing in it because of that, which is exactly aligns with like volunteer, you know, philanthropic yeah. efforts. Like those things have no rate of return whatsoever. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's probably me. They do have rates of return probably in some areas, but not from a financial aspect. Yeah. It's more of like it fills you up and it gives you a sense of meaning. And uh, you know, just just because things fill you up doesn't mean every day of the week your cup's full from it. Um, and sometimes it's very rare that it is. And there's a lot of there's a lot of crap you have to go through. And and uh, I think I think it's good to kind of like take that step back. And I'm glad you kind of had that takeaway from it. 
Yeah, I mean, I have experience from other volunteer stuff that went bad because basically you don't have a stick. You only have a bit of a carrot, which is a very small carrot at that because it, people yeah. have to find their own self-worth in what they're doing. Yeah. And you have to really know how to... There's some common sense, yes, but as Dave always says, common sense is anything but common. Oh, yeah. And having it written <laughs> down always makes it more real for some for a lot of people. I mean, even if you hear it somewhere, yeah, whatever. But if, some, if somebody has written it down in a book, it must mean something. The written word just has more... Even if it's on an e-screen, doesn't matter. <laughs> has more <laughs> value somehow. And just having it nicely put together in a coherent storyline where you can just go from point to point to point. It, it's a it's a nice yeah a nice grouping of uh, values. No, that's awesome. Um, and and you know it's it's really interesting because I, I I I think that is one of the things as I was kind of going through and and putting a lot of the the, the stuff together the book is it was you know trying to help connect people at sort of the level where they could be at and and setting up so that they could think about it as they sort of you know march forward in their careers and you know to be honest like I think that's I think that's one of the big challenges you you put a nail on the head of open source is is the carrot is is not that big and you have to the carrot has to be within not to be all like zen like or anything but um it, it, it it's sort of true and you know, I often tell a lot of my colleagues here um, at the Linux Foundation, I said, you know, one thing with these projects is you can't want it more than the people in it. Mm -hmm. You know, the people in it have to want it more. And if you're wanting it more than them, it's just never going to go anywhere. And, and and I think that's kind of the interesting, you know, tug and pull there is letting them sort of being the lead, but getting them excited to the point where they can push it forward. Because the ones that you see successful are the people are so intrinsically motivated they're pushing it hard forward uh, more than anything yeah i mean it, it you're sort of if anything you're providing you know a little bit of extra guidance for for those people that already have the passion like you're not igniting the passion there it's already there you're just helping to shepherd it along the way and provide them a little bit of extra knowledge here and there I think before I've joked around and called ourselves the janitors of open source, <laughs> um, and and but maybe a shepherd is even a better way to even think about it. You know, you're you, you have just amazing smart people that that want to build technologies that change the world and have changed the world. Yeah, and the the skill sets that they have are focused on there. And when you're thinking all those beyond code aspects, it's how do you how do you nurture and help drive this group of very diverse opinionated different backgrounds unopinionated all of those things together and and that's that's sort of that there's just no one way to do it but there's a lot of things to think about and you know mindsets to have so that you can be in a good position to help yeah, i would say there's more than one way to do it there's a few ways to do it correctly and an awful lot of ways yeah. to do it badly Oh yeah, what's, what's the joke they have about Perl? Like that, you know, there's, there's, there's any for anything in Perl. There's like I think there's ten ways to do it. Three of them are probably the really good ways to do it, you know, and the next four after that are probably okay, and then the last are really bad. Um, and there's always one more being the poetry style. 
Exactly. Yeah. And you had one on top of that. And then, and then the person that says, we'll just go do it in Ruby or Scala or whatever. Um, but no, I, I think, I, I think there's a little bit of that mindset here. Um, there's also the practice with, with Perl. I think I, I've heard said is to be good at it. You, you have to do it a lot. Like you have, you know, to be very proficient at it, you need to spend like so many hours. I forget how much it was like a month doing it. And I think there's a little bit of that same art here that if you're kind of in the throes of it, you, you, you sort of get more of, where the various dynamics are. Yeah, but no, because uh, from the book <laughs> and from yeah. experience as well, usually the person starting the open source project is a developer. He wrote some codes, yeah. he wrote some code and fun thing, put it on the internet and people read it and were enthusiastic mm -hmm. about it. But as a project gets more importance, gets bigger, you kind of have to shift from being the programmer that writes most of the code to the person that's managing the flock basically in an ideal world holding people back from putting too much in it but getting things finished more of an organizational project leader role and less of a coding role and that's also in your in the book of course when your project gets larger you need to attract more people to take different roles and maybe as the initiator take a little step back so that mm -hmm. you don't get in the way of that organization because programmers don't have the same not all programmers are ideal group leaders that's not yeah. what they're good at. That's not what typically not what a developer is. I mean, I wouldn't mm -hmm. be able to do it. No, um, that's you know that's a very good insight there because I, I you know I've I've read this a lot over the years that if you look at the career arch of a software engineer, they sort of get to this point of like senior software engineer and sort of the next leap is always like development manager, and it's an entirely different set of skill sets. Yeah. And you see so many folks that sort of crash and burn and just want to go back. And it's not that they're, they're, they're bad people. It's not that they're not capable. It's just because the skill sets are different and also what you get out of it is a lot different. That is it's just not as an, an appealing thing. And, and you see this in like other sort of industries and domains as well, when you're sort of doing that transition from like an individual contributor to more of like a, a leader sort of aspect. And, you know, I, I think that's something that, really begins to happen in open source project once you get past sort of that, you know, that one lone wolf or one maintainer um, in a benevolent dictator for life light version of a project is, you know, as this grows, you're going to have a lot of people in there. And the hardest thing, and, and if you read a lot of stories about burnout, most of it, and I don't want to generalize this because there's a lot of different circumstances, but you certainly see a pattern of people that I don't want to say they have problems delegating because that sort of makes it feel like there's like a little bit of like a, a superiority like complex that you like inherently inherently have. I think it's one of those things that you just don't you you, you don't think about developing people um, until almost it's too late sometimes until you're really inundated. And, and I think this happens like startup businesses um, and, and all sorts of walks. I mean, I think it's unique to open source. I think sort of the passion of open source carries it forward, especially with like an initial founder of a project. But it, it's it's sort of that thing that you don't you don't realize it's a problem until after it's really a problem, and then you're kind of spending a lot of time. Then okay, now I have to double down and I have to pull back on this to help invest in this sort of next group coming up. And if you sort of get ahead of that, you know, it's better. Like Fortune, like if you look at like Fortune 100 companies, when they hire a new CEO. 
the next thing that the board is doing right after they hire it is they're looking at who's going to be their successor and trying to figure out like what that looks like. How do we begin grooming them? How do we begin, you know, building that up? Because if we need to shift it, it could be an instant, you know, it could be very quick. And not saying that open source projects really have the capability to do the same thing, but being able to have that mindset of who, who else could come into this project with the level of passion and insight and whatnot to help drive it forward. And, it, it, and I think the other thing that runs into is some of these developers say, you know, if you're not just like me, you're not going to do great at it. And that's that's sort of a hard thing. Like, be, and and the reality is, is no one is just like you. Mm. Um, certainly, no one's like John because he's just. That's a good thing. And certainly, no one's like Dave either um, for the Again, same reason. Yeah, but 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 it's but you start to kind of again, it's sort of not as like everyone else is bad. I'm good, but it's more of oh geez, I'm so worried about this that unless someone could be an exact drop in of me. This 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 isn't going to go anywhere, and so you kind of have to have a little bit of, I guess, blind, you know, faith a little bit. I think one of the later chapters when we talk about succession is a bit of that, where there's the dynamic of if you if you're bringing in the next leaders, you have to be very conscientious that you're still not in the way, even though you have new leaders in there. You 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 have to kind of empower them and push the community towards them and have where your role you know, sits and ends. Otherwise, you know, the community keeps looking at you and so do the current leader. The new leaders keep looking at you and then basically you're just the leader again. Um, yeah. You just lost the title and you don't get to sleep. Uh, are you saying that backseat driving isn't a good thing? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Especially if the driver just hands you the steering wheel. That's usually a bad thing. You could at least ask them to stop the car first. But... Uh... <laughs> And there we go. That's the first section of our interview with John Murtick, based largely around his book, uh, Open Source Projects Beyond Code. But uh, as always with John, we investigate and dive into a wide variety of other interesting topics. There along is no the rabbit hole we did not dive into. Mm -hmm. Indeed. <laughs> With that, that is all the time you have for today. You can support this podcast, become a patron, contributions to help us keep us in the air and have a really nice guests like John on the podcast. We're on YouTube. You can like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, do YouTube stuff, make Dave happy. Although Dave is always happy when you have a guest on, he doesn't have to talk to me. You can still go to www.rollingout.org. There's links there to the Patreon page, the YouTube page, and things like that. Information on podcasts there as well. And there's a Twitter link that we sometimes may still use, but, well, Twitter is going the way of the dodo, it would seem. You can always, of course, send your emails with your feedback in emails to podcast.rollingout.org. Until next time, my name is Jon, not John the author. And my name is listening intently to both John and Jon, Dave. I look forward to continuing this interview with uh, John next week. Goodbye. See you then.